0: hello and welcome back to another episode of inside the asperger studios do you live in canada and have a son or daughter that is autistic and having trouble finding the right resources to get your children at school well my next guest priya tungard runs a tutoring agency that helps those who are on the spectrum she matches the right tutor with the right child so let's sit back relax and grab our favorite beverage and listen to Priya tell us more about herself and her agency. See you there. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today, I'm joined with Priya, who is an autism advocate, and she's got a lot to share. Welcome to the show, Priya.
1: Thanks for having me. I love your platform. I love your channel. I I just love watching your old shows.
0: Thank you very much. I mean, not a lot of people have said that they've listened to my old shows before they come on, so it's an honor.
1: Yeah, well, you've had some great guests and great topics, so yeah, there's always a lot to learn.
0: So, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself?
1: Thank you. So, I'm based out of uh, the west coast of Canada, and um, there's a lot of things that we do here to support uh, neurodivergent people. So, I have a background in psychology. I have twenty over twenty years of um, experience in the education field, but. I learned the most about neurodiversity when I had my two kids who are autistic and amazing. Um, And uh, when I started to create more programs, um, because I had a position as a director of a childcare facility, I noticed that there was an opportunity to work with parents and facilities and other expert members of the community to come together and to make things better for everybody. Um, And so I advocate for neurodiversity and neurodivergent people. And I'm just on the journey myself. I continue to learn. I own a tutoring agency, uh, which strives to be Canada's leading tutoring agency for neurodivergent kids. And I'm an author of a book called Radically Reframe, Three Guiding Principles for a Happier Neurodivergent Family. And that's me.
0: Now, how is autism in Canada looked at?
1: Uh, Well, I think we're in this in a similar spot. Uh, I think that we are um, just advocating for awareness. And on the West Coast, uh, we do have um, we do have programs in place. Um, So that means if you get an early um, diagnosis under the age of six, you have access to um, Mm -hmm. government funding as uh, up to $22,000 Canadian per year uh, before they turn six. Uh, but we have our our own slew of problems that come with that. Um, after COVID, it just became so difficult to go for a diagnosis, um, even though it's free. Uh, people were waiting on and, and still are for over two years. Um, to get diagnosed. And so going to the doctor, going to the pediatrician, getting the pediatrician's referral to a psychologist who specializes in autism assessment. um, I think, I think there's a lot of struggle there because unless you are going into a public school system with a designation, you don't get classroom support. And um, you know, there's a lot of issues that come out of that.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of um, countries and including the US and that deal with deal how they deal with autism. I mean, they don't know how to treat it. The school systems don't know how to look at it. Teachers aren't trained, right? So it's the fight.
1: It, I mean, ex- I, I just did a uh, province, so it's like a state, right? So like a province-wide training um, for caregivers and educators. And, you know, there was definitely some pushback when I started talking about strategies and and how um, sometimes it's best just to observe and not to teach in the moment. And they're like, what do you mean? Don't teach them in the moment. So like, you've got to observe and you've got to set up a new system that works for them and you know, it doesn't really work for a capitalist system all the time because you do need that one on one attention and you need systems to be changed. And, you know, um, and I think in a system where things are paid for um, by government agencies, they're always thinking about the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's something that maybe most countries have to deal with, Um but yeah, it is very difficult because you're trying, they're trying to save on resources. And so the neurodivergent autistic community as well is really advocating for that support that they need in school. Um, they do have, you know, once they get diagnosed, but there's a lot of people who don't think the diagnosis is positive. So I um You know, I talk about that, like the diagnosis is positive. It's not a um, you don't want to look at it as a complete medical model kind of picture. You want to look at it holistically. So I think that's where people get stuck. They think, oh, I don't want to label my kid. And um, they'll grow out of it or something (laughs) that's, you know, not helpful to these kids Mm -hmm. in building their self-esteem.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the hardest problems with the school systems today is the fact that teachers don't know how to handle those of us who are on the spectrum. And like you said, there's a pushback because they don't want to learn this new way. They're used to their old way
1: yeah, let's do everything the same as it was done before. And, but the thing is, you know, there's so, I think that teachers now, a lot of them who are new, they do know about neurodiversity and they are aware of, um, you know, strategies that they can use and resources that they can use. But I also think they're tired, right? Um, I mean, we do have a lot of resources here, but it's still not enough. So like, um, at the end of the day, I think you need not just the understanding, but also cash money. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you need that person to have the support. So yes, teach the teacher some strategies, but they still have 20 other kids who all learn differently as well and might have other barriers. So they might have uh, barriers that are not related to neurodiversity and, um, you know, we really want to lift the bar though, because if you can teach uh, all kids and the bar is to teach kids visually and um, engage them. And, um, you know, like for some kids who are uh, autistic, they need that leadership role. They need to be the teacher. Um, They need to be the helper. And then once you know how to incorporate that, you know, it is better. It's just that, How does a teacher who's just, you know, got their head above water, how do Mm -hmm. they how do they incorporate all of these new things? Um, They can't. We just have to fight for more resources and advocate. Um, Yeah, I do workshops about uh, how to be an empowered advocate for your child. Oftentimes teachers can't advocate themselves. They need They need a parent to be a squeaky wheel.
0: Now, you said both your kids are autistic. Do they have ADHD as well?
1: Um, Yes, but I didn't go for the uh, diagnosis. I also am in that category myself. So um, although it's inattentive ADHD, so it's not... I guess it wasn't flagged when I was younger for various reasons, but a lot of girls don't get the label of ADHD if they aren't um, quote unquote acting out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, I was just, uh, you know, looking out the window (laughs) for a long time, (laughs) but yeah, but my kids um, I try not to, you know, I just focus on their strengths. They're very different. Um, And I don't talk about them too much because They I want them to tell their own story, but I I do learn from them. And um, I call one my pride and the other my joy. And (laughs) they, uh, you know, they they definitely feel free to share their feelings with me. And I think that's all I can do and then focus on their strengths. And once we get past that stage of, uh, you know, naming your feelings, getting your frustrations out in a healthy, safe way, the next step for me further down the line is getting them to advocate for themselves. I'm not always going to be in the classroom. I'm not always going to be in a workplace. So if I can extend that, get them to look at themselves and say, hey, when I'm in this, uh, you know, I'm sitting in the classroom, it's super bright here and um, it's making me frustrated you know, eventually I want to build to that point where mm-hmm. if I'm not there, they can advocate for themselves. So we're working on that slowly, like, and and saying to themselves, Hey, it's bright here. I'm sensitive to light. Could you move me to another place? But, you know, it's so hard for them to say that because they have so many things going on in their mind and their body. And, You know, that's going to be years in the making, and that'll be wonderful because it's something they can take with them, you know, into adulthood.
0: I mean, I know that self-advocacy is very important. I mean, I had it when I went away to school, I had to learn how to self-advocate for myself, especially when it came. To picking the school, to make sure they have the right disability department, to knowing what questions to ask, to telling them, hey, I have autism, I'm going to need X, Y, and Z to help me through this. And then even when I was there to let people know, hey, listen, I have ASD, you need to work with me, you need to get me the things I need, because if you don't self-advocate now... You're going to be afraid to tell people in the future about yourself because what you, I think in my feelings, I think you would eventually build a wall. Yeah. So people don't see what you, don't see your disability and then it just becomes you're holding it in.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think... Um, You know, I'm not there with my kids yet, but in general, I do talk about disability and the term disability and how to use it. Right. Because a lot of parents don't want to use that with their child. But you don't get the resources and disability. You know, the term itself is is should be used for equity Mm -hmm. and equity purposes, And so just because the system is not set up, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done.
0: I know there's, I mean, when people hear the word disability, there's a huge stigma behind it. There is. And it's a negative one.
1: Absolutely. And people got to
0: learn to say, hey, disability, yes, it can be negative, but it also strengthens who you are because it tells people who you are and what's going on inside your head.
1: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize like disability is actually normal. It's a normal part of diversity. And because our capitalist system um, isn't really set up for uh, for equity, right? It's set up for. So this is really a wonderful thing to to um, have people really understand the humanity um, and care about each person. That's That shows a lot about a society and a community. And, you know, that advocacy piece, the disability piece and equity piece is cornerstone to what I'm trying to teach my kids, but as well in the community around us. So, I mean... I approach um, education centers, community centers, and just try to um, you know, really talk about these terms as well as with parents. But that stigma attached, it's huge. But I know that it's possible to change people's minds. And I know it's possible to learn better ways. And I see a lot of things that are improving um, in terms of autism awareness. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, there's a big, uh, like autism, um, support society here and it's connected to our, uh, like our local, uh, hockey team. Um, and by local, I mean like for Vancouver and they really try to include, um, equity. They listen to autistic voices, actually uh, autistic voices, that is new too. So, I think you can't have true equity if you're not including autistic voices. Um, and then they are also including um, people of color who are autistic. And so, that intersectionality is something there's so much work to be done. Um, you know, there's a lot of new immigrants who come into Canada. I think there's more that are coming in this year than most years combined. Um, And it's a high number. And, you know, if we look at the general statistics for uh, neurodiversity, it's going to, you know, they're going to have, um, you know, that neurodiversity and maybe their kids will too. So it's really important as a society, if we all get together and don't let the intersexual intersectional lens, hold us back um, and also include things in different languages to reach out and to really reach out to the community in, in different ways, in ways that matter to them and find a way to help everybody. So I see a lot of work being done there in that sense. There's a movement towards intersectionality and inclus- inclusivity and equity. There's a movement towards that for larger entities here. So um, I've got to highlight that that's amazing, because I think in a lot of places, they're just not ready for that conversation.
0: Yeah, I feel a lot of places aren't ready for the talk about autism, because it's, Just recently coming to light, more and more people are coming out, more and more and more places are slowly beginning to say, hey, we need to create an environment for those who are autistic or on the spectrum or neurodivergent. But then again, you get those companies who are like, we don't want to change. We don't want to have to learn how to deal with new people.
1: Yeah, well that's not the way of the future, right? Yeah. And um, the best companies have inclusion policies and they have um, diversity and equity pol- inclusion policies. Um, the best companies need that because they need a more diverse background of the people who are there working with. Because at the end of the day, they that will be their customers as well, or the people that they're serving. So it makes a company better and stronger if they have more diverse individuals who are part of it. So, you know, being part of a neurodivergent community, it's advantageous to pull resources and to support the companies that do actually look at things in a different mm-hmm. way, are progressive, and see the value in finding people who are not homogenous. right so I mean I guess we have the movement of multiculturalism or I don't know I think in the states would would you say it's like a melting pot maybe
0: yeah we are we're kind of like a melting pot because we have so many people so much diversity it's companies are getting to the point where they have to say hey we are there are just so many people so many different disabilities we need to work with them
1: Yeah, well, I think there's an important distinction. So let's just use the term like multi, if we use the example of multiculturalism um, versus melting pot. So multiculturalism should be the idea that you get to keep who you are and still and be who you are and still um, contribute to society and versus melting pot, which is you have to lose who you are, uh, but come together in a large group. So I think... I think the model is would be good if we kind of, you know, aspired to that older model of multiculturalism which I lived through in the 80s and 90s in Canada and it was a beautiful idea and I ate it up. <laughs> like I'm like, oh wow, it is a wonderful thing that we could all be different and we can all contribute to our society. And I think Masking is a huge thing for uh, the autistic community um, from what I've read. And I think that for many people who come from a different background, they um, in the past were masking who they were and what they like to eat and what um, they like to listen to. And so I think there's some, you know, synergy there about, you know, hiding who you are versus um you know showing who you are and so i think marginalized communities or um communities that didn't have that um the same level playing field um have gone through this before
0: now you think you've written a book why don't you tell me a little bit more about it
1: well thank you yeah so funny story (laughs) about the story so uh September 2021, I broke my leg and had to go for surgery. And so I thought, wow, um, when does a mom of two kids get time to just lie down (laughs) and get served hand and foot? So I thought that um, instead of, uh, you know, watching Netflix or, which is fine. I mean, I did, but I, I wanted to Uh, take that time and really make it special. Um, So I thought about all of the experiences that I've had and what I wish I could share to parents who are having kids who are newly diagnosed. Um, So it's called Radically Reframe, like three guiding principles to a happier neurodivergent family. So the three guiding principles are to ask the community. So the first principle is to ask the community who's actually autistic, ask and or just observe, wait, don't contribute your ideas, just observe that community and then reach out to community who can help you. So the first piece is community. The second piece is to radically reframe everything The medical model told you about how you're unable to do things because they're just focusing on a certain piece. They're not focusing on your creativity or um, your logic or your um, Mm -hmm. sense of empathy. Um, They're not or your problem solving skills. They're not looking at that. They're only looking at one piece. Right. So you've got to radically reframe um, parts of the diagnosis. And the final piece is gratitude just um, so, you know, I go into the details of how I came up with these ideas, but there are are stories attached. Like, for example, we had um, this kid at uh, the education facility and the parent was like from a different culture and really did not want their kid to get diagnosed. And, um, but, you know, she did notice that they, there was a lot of trains and lining up trains specifically and holding on to trains. And if you go through a medical model, that would be like um, obsessed or, um, you know, playing in a completely different way. And uh, there's different ways to look at it. So one, like now I think that he's considered an expert, right? So you can get this kid to share Information about trains, and to and to highlight their strengths, and to really bring in other play opportunities um, <clears throat> where they are teaching. And I think that a lot of people look at the medical model and think, okay, that's it. My child's life is over, and they're they're never going to be normal. And um, you know, at, over a period of a year, the I got the mom to understand. That there's different ways to look at how her child is going to live and how we can enjoy all the things that they're doing and still support them and advocate for them at school. So I think, um, you know, examples about um, the typical ways that autistic kids play and that being seen as a, you know, a negative is um, something that we got to radically reframe that.
0: All right. Now tell me about your, the education agency.
1: So uh, basically I am a tutoring agency and I match up tutors to families. So um, of neurodivergent kids. So basically uh, kids in between the ages of eight and 15 who have just been diagnosed, I work with families and I say, okay, we're going to focus on strengths. We're going to focus on a positive inner narrative And we're going to break down each step in very um, positive ways. And so we just focus on that. Um, I match up the tutor. I have the most amazing tutors who work with kids who are neurodivergent sometimes during the day. And they really want to work one-on-one with a kid. And that one-on-one time is something they can't do sometimes in a public system. Um, but that one-on-one time is what really makes a difference with that kid. And so sometimes they go to their home. Sometimes they teach online. Um, so far, all of my tutors are from BC, from the province of British Columbia. They're in Lower Mainland, so near Vancouver. Um, some of them teach online and some of them teach in person our customers our families um they're all over the world but most of them are here and all of them are um conducting their lessons in english
0: that's very good i mean it's important to really match up that tutor with the family you want you want the kid to feel comfortable with that tutor So, he can feel comfortable and be himself. He doesn't have to mask. He can relax and just learn.
1: That's right. And so, part of the pieces that we teach is that um, we teach self-advocacy. So, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I need a break. Or, I need a break. Or, break. Or, space. Right? (laughs) Uh, or like hold up a piece of white paper, like whatever their way of communicating is um, with the tutor, they can create their own little language too, to say, I need a break. I need 60 seconds. Right. And then mm-hmm. um, show them some techniques. This is before they get into the zone. Right. Cause they'll put a lot of pressure on themselves. And then we just take a step back and take it easy and, and really help them go through the steps and, and, When they do something good, we get them to we ask them, like, how did you do that? And what that's doing is getting them to think how their brain works and how they found the answer. What that does is it's using the tools of metacognition to plant positive narratives inside their head about how they are good problem solvers. So a little bit some psychology, I guess, from that yeah. we could use to re, to reinforce and really strengthen this kid and what they're able to do. So, yeah, I mean, we've had kids who are um, a lot of them, you know, they might be homeschooled or doing distance learning or remote learning or some kind of alternative model. And the parents come to us like really stressed out. They think that their child is behind. Or they think that, you know, things are looking really bleak. But after a few months, they change their mind and everybody's back on track. And the kids like excited about learning. Like, I mean, really, we're trying to change a long term trajectory here. And I, I love what we do. Like, these kids are amazing.
0: Now, how early were your children diagnosed?
1: Um, Well, I was trying for earlier, but uh, two and a half for my daughter. Um, They sent me back when she was two. (laughs) So and then um, three and a half for my son. So I lost a year of funding. Anyways, I'll get over that. (laughs) What kind
0: of struggles have you have you faced while raising them?
1: Well, one sensory seeking and one sensory avoidant. So, (laughs) together. (laughs)
0: Complete opposites.
1: Exactly. So, I had the opportunity to learn that and learn every child is different. Every autistic child is different. Every autistic person is different. Um, So, I got great examples um, right in my own home. And yeah, the challenges, I mean, I want to say that school was a challenge and keeping keeping their attention and their gifts um so their gifts of creativity or their their gifts of um, problem solving or um you know music um the 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 challenge is is keeping their gifts um exciting and engaging for them while still living out everyday boring routine stuff that doesn't you know, work with their sensory needs. That that those were the big challenges. You mm-hmm. know, but um, school school is a big challenge because then they got to advocate for them, right? And I had to leave school. I had to leave the school. Um, they just didn't have the resources in place um, to help. And uh, if your kid's not, you know, violent, you're not getting a lot of support in the classroom. Um, but you know, we advocate for that support, but, you know, you're losing years trying to advocate for that. So, instead of losing years, I um, changed schools, and it's wonderful, like, great, um, so much support, lots of communication, um, a lot of um, adjustments, and uh, focus on their strengths. So, so much focus on their strengths. So, I, you know, what else could you want for your kids? But that was that was a big challenge. I I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a, a, in a proximity of privilege to be able to change my schools, right? To change schools. Mm-hmm. Not everyone can do that. So that was an issue. Um, and then I also uh, spent time with the City of Vancouver Advisory Committee for Children, Family, and Youth. Um, and I spent 18 months there trying to add some advocacy pieces for neurodivergent people and for neurodiversity um, and inclusion policies. And they've got they've done a great job, but nothing really moved during COVID. So that was um, I also joined the subcommittee for mental health because there's a lot of kids um, who need that support.
0: I mean, that's a big one of the biggest things is, especially with those who have ADHD like me and your kids, that you're doing the right thing by making what making their loves exciting because part of ADHD is if we don't get excited about something or something doesn't stimulate our brains, we get bored of it and we just want to move on. And that's where I feel in the classrooms sometimes the kids overexceed their classes. Mm -hmm. and they get bored because they know the material inside and out and the teachers don't know what to do at that point
1: that's right they don't know how to teach the the kids in a way that's um fast enough for them um also you know there comes a point where they've missed too much. Like kids have missed too much. Right. So, and they can't come around one-on-one to every kid every hour and, and, and do this. Like that's, you know, so I think that's why, you know, you do need like a program for the kids where they get that one-on-one support and they just get to see, um, you know, an exciting way of presenting the information, right? So sometimes we use Minecraft to teach. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we use um, Roblox or we find ways of things that they're interested in and, and loop them into that or, you know, kind of make it their project. And then a lot of learning happens there, but you know, with my kids, I don't know if anybody can teach them. I don't know how they, I don't even know how they're learning, like through osmosis. I don't even know Mm -hmm. if they, uh, yeah, like, with one of mine, I I there's constant stimming and humming. So when there's stimming and humming, how do you hear what's going on? Well, are there visual, you know, I just talked about it yesterday with the resource teacher. Like what visuals do you have in place for this for this specific writing issue? And they um, didn't update it, right? So if if they if someone's stimming and humming, they're not going to be able to hear. And there might be, you know, um, a, a listening delay, a processing delay. So you can't just expect to use verbal instructions. It's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it is.
1: <laughs> right? Like you wouldn't? I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that for ESL. Oh.
0: No I mean you need some if you know who your students are and you know what they have, you need to have some kind of thing that will work with all of them with the regular with the neuro, the neurotypicals with, and with the neurodivergent. So both sides are getting that feed of information, regardless of the stimming or the humming. It's something they can soak in either it's visual aids on the board, if they can't hear the teacher talking or if it's something written down and or if it's in the books, and I think that's so important because this is why a lot of the students are getting falling for the cracks is because they're not being taught the right way
1: exactly, and you know, I am privileged that I have you know the the capability. Um, to take them to a school where they have the resources right in Mm -hmm. other schools it's quite possible that these kids might be called problems or I don't know like you know put in some kind of room you know we hear we hear all kinds of stories about kids who are treated differently and and treated so poorly so I think the education system needs to be funded to be more inclusive and you know, for example, like one of my kids, sensory seeking, so um, hyperlexic, able to read at a, at a very young age and able to read without, um, you know, sounding out the words. They, uh, he's reached a level where he doesn't need that instruction and also has a hard time sitting down. OK, well, is there anything physical in his care plan? No. So I've got to fight for that. OK, so he's got a hard time sitting down because he needs to move his body and and have different needs for proprioception. Why is that in his care plan? If you have one person who's watching him, why don't you take him to do some heavy work in the gym? Go for a walk. So I was able to do that as a director of a, of a child care facility. I was able to put that in the care plan and and have those kids with one on one care to not just do visual, like if you're just doing visuals, that's not enough for the kids physical needs mm. or sensory needs. You got to they got to be ready to learn. And if they've got a lot of energy and um, which is a wonderful thing and you don't use it or you don't let them use it, you're going to end up with uh, a child who's dysregulated. And it it doesn't have to be a negative thing.
0: I mean, it's, it's almost like what you're saying with with the child who can't sit still. That was like me in grade school. My parents would get calls from the teachers all the time saying, Reed can't sit still in class until all of a sudden one day they realize there's only they get a call saying, you won't believe this, but Reed's sitting still in one class and one class only. And it was my general science class.
1: Oh, wonderful. it held my interest. Yeah, that's wonderful.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing is, yeah. I think a lot of these classes today don't hold the children's interest because they they don't know how to.
1: Well, they don't know how to, but also technology is changing. So mm-hmm. whatever they learned in teacher's college and teacher's school was taught to them for I don't know how many decades. That needs to get updated. It's like... You know, does everyone have access to the same types of teacher information, which is um, educational um, technology and educational psychology? Yeah. Is Has that been updated? If a teacher is feeling dysregulated themselves because there's so much noise, maybe they're neurodivergent themselves and they don't know it. And now they're getting frustrated and taking it out on those kids. That's going to affect the class and kids know when you're not happy and kids know your feelings and your emotions very quickly. So there's so many pieces to this, right? So even the teacher knowing how to take care of themselves is gonna positively affect the class instead of that one teacher is trying to do it all and then ends up screaming or unable to handle things or kicking the kid out of class. Um, And I'm not saying that if you've done that, you're a bad teacher. I'm just saying you need to take a step back and observe objectively what happened and then see if you can change one thing at a time. And that takes a lot of introspection. And, you know, you got to question yourself sometimes and say, how can I make this better? And you're already doing a lot. So sometimes you might shut it out
0: now what have you learned from your kids
1: uh i've learned that their humor their sense of humor their sense of um understanding things that i don't see it's like a whole other world yes um they're Know their memory, their attention to detail, creativity, the stories they can hold on to with such detail in um, writing form when they're drawing or when they're retelling a story, um, uh, how they are able to memorize um, pieces of movies um, yeah. and that they adore and how that's a form of communication for them that shows um, their mood. Right. Um, There's so many things. There's so many things. And I'm just in awe of them. But, you know, there's times where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't do it by myself. I can't get them both ready and out the door when they don't want to go to school. Like, there are times where the reality sets in and I'm like, how do I get them to school? (laughs) Yeah. Without killing each other.
0: No, I... Now, how do they view their their own disabilities? I mean, do they see this as a negative, or have you enforced it to them and said, hey, you have to look at it as a positive, as your superpower, because you are different from the rest of the world?
1: I don't think they would use those words, but I think, so like with my daughter, I'm like, oh, you know, since she was little, I've said some people are really good at talking and some people are really good at noticing details. So I've always kind of started to reinforce it. And then I started to, you know, show her different parts of the brain and say, some people are really good at this and some people are working on this. Where do you think you are? So it's been reinforced so many times. So like, I remember there was some magazine that came out She's 11 magazine that came out um, last, I think, two months ago. And it was about neurodiversity and it was geared to kids um, her age. And I was like, oh, what do you think of this? She's like, this is for babies. Everybody knows this already. I'm like, OK, you know, and she's like, yeah, I know what I'm good at. And I know what I need to work on. So she doesn't think of it as a disability. But she knows that there's things she can do to, um, I guess, highlight her strengths. And also, she's still working on that piece. Like, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not comfortable with this. She does not think of it as a disability. And I think most people who see a child who's as confident and outspoken as her would not see it that way. And for my son, um, there's a lot of him uh, humming and stimming, and I think people might um consider that jarring or scary or a disability. And I um I don't know, he's he's still really young, so yeah, but we talk about brains and we talk about all the different types of brains that are wonderful and and um yeah, but they, they don't, I think they wouldn't talk about themselves as um, having a disability, but I think they would um, really need to know, I mean, our future piece is to make sure that they, they know how to advocate. Okay. Bless you.
0: Thank you. Now, do you, I'm pretty sure your both your kids have their own hyper focuses, right?
1: Oh, yeah, uh for my um one kid it's Zelda and yeah. the other it's Roblox and a specific game on <laughs> Roblox, which you know it's interesting because it's like other parents might say it's borderline, like not a good game for kids on Roblox. So um, you know, that's something that I have to understand. Like there's little pieces there that, you know, um do they do they know? <clears throat> Like, Excuse do me. they know? Yeah. Do they know um, that this is not reality? And do they know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, what these games are um, promoting? So there's long conversations about that and also lots of different things that they can do outside of the games. But I don't hold them back from games after, you know, there's limited times, but um they're really into their video games. Um, my son is for sure. My daughter can move away from video games and craft till three in the morning. Wow. It's like Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> Beautiful pieces. But yeah, I mean, that's something sleep, right? We could do a whole yeah. thing about that. Sleep's hard. So it's a challenge. Um, um,
0: I can tell you about sleep. I mean, I've had trouble with sleep my entire life. Until recently, I started using CBD. Yeah. And, oh, my God, it's a huge difference. Right? Yeah. Because otherwise my mind doesn't shut off, and I'm constantly talking and going over things. And even when I try to meditate, I can see, see my mind Shifting off to a different thought every time, and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not focusing. I just shifted off of the, my focus onto something else that just popped into my head.
1: So you do meditate? You're able. I to do. That?
0: There is a great <sighs> meditation app out there. My mom got me into called Headspace.
1: Oh yeah, it's great. I've I've used that with them. Um, yeah, one of them is into it, and one of them is too young. But yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, the we definitely would consider that, you know, um, and you know it's it's legal here, so that kind of stuff. So when the time is right, you know, um, you know it's something definitely that we would discuss and and add to the tools. At the moment, we do have options for the melatonin gummies, so, mm-hmm. um, but they don't work long term, so. No. We just kind of pull, yeah, we just kind of pull them for, you know, when if she requests, um, maybe she requests them twice a month. So not, not too much.
0: Yeah, the CBD I use is a spray. You spray six times under your tongue, and it's got a combination of different things in it that all attribute to helping you with sleep. It's got melatonin nice. and a whole bunch of other things. And instead of knocking you out, it kind of lulls you into that. Fatigue, feeling asleep until you you doze off.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. There's lots of things out there, and I think when we think about the benefits of sleep and and how that helps um, anybody, you know, with their mental health, it you've really got to put a lot of effort into getting that right. So, I mean, that's something that we're definitely working on. You know as a family
0: yeah now does the school system work with work with your kids to help them if they have like bright lights or if they're getting overstimulated can they go out to the teacher and say hey listen this is going on I need
1: they have a support person each one of them has one support person each good yeah so they have like a sensory room they can go to um, to have breaks and they have like lights in there. But there are times where the teacher doesn't understand like, oh, it was sunny today and and they seemed really upset that the sun was there. And I was like, oh, oh. Um, that's in their plan, but it's fine. So they're sensitive to sun. Um, you know, you could move locations, put the blinds down, put them in sunglasses or a hat or move them like there's so many things you could do right and um I think in the past you know part of part of um the issue is that when autistic people tell us something Mm. we should listen
0: but I think there's a
1: tendency to oh well then they're repeating themselves yeah because it's bothering them like you've got to acknowledge it So, yeah, no, my kids have my kids have a lot of support, but, you know, like I said, I'm privileged, so I haven't I have access to that. But there was a time when I didn't. So, um, you know, the advocacy piece is huge. You somehow have to get that sleep yourself (laughs) to advocate for your kids. You know, because you can't do that while running on empty. And for me, you know, I have issues with sleep, too. So there's times where I'm like, I just don't want to fight anymore. I'm just tired. And, you know, I take a step back. I show myself self-compassion and say it's okay that I can't do something today.
0: But I I think that took a long time. Yeah, I mean, sleep is very important. I mean, because sleep is how your body regenerates and how your mind quiets itself down because i mean especially for those who have adhd and asd i mean it's your mind is constantly your mind is constantly active so it's about shutting that. it's about shutting your mind down so you can get that sleep
1: that's right um what do you think for you um, if you could go back and and tell yourself something when you were a kid, what would you tell yourself?
0: I would if I would talk, I would say because in high school I was trying to be somebody I wasn't I wasn't. I would go back and say, Hey, listen, be proud of who you are. Mm-hmm. This is what you are, because we didn't know back then what I had. Right. We always thought it was a learning disability. And we didn't know it was um, autism until later in life. And I would say, listen, you're autistic. These are your challenges. Learn to deal with them in a way you can. Learn to communicate and advocate. (laughs) Because Communications and advocacy are the the two most important things as you as you're somebody on the spectrum because you need to relate to people in the world. Hey, listen, this is who I am. If I say something or do something, it's not I'm not doing it to upset someone. It's that my mind doesn't think that way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: As my parents always as my mom has always put it, I think in black and white. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure your kids do too. There's only there's a right and there's a wrong. There is no middle road. That's right. It's like telling your you or your husband's telling a story, and you, in that story, you say something, you get something wrong, and your kids gonna correct you right there and then instead of saying, "Hey, wait, I need to wait until they're done and tell them in private." That oh say, yeah. Oh yeah. I've, I've done that many times, and my mom, my parents are like, "You do know you are embarrassing me."
1: I think like some ethnic households would definitely adopt that though, because they're always talking over each other, having different Mm -hmm. conversations. So I didn't really think much of it in the beginning. (laughs) I was like, you know, that's, that's a beautiful thing when you reframe, right? Because there's so many cultures that, you know, don't need the eye contact and, you know, they don't need uh, a turn-taking style for a conversation to be polite, (laughs) The, you know, it's considered uh, more polite just to say how you really feel. Yeah. Right. So it's interesting because we're we're able to access all different types of information. And, you know, I think we we do have to work within this North American system. but. You know, I think there's lots of room for diversity now and uh, the conversations are are coming up. And I love what you said about those two important pieces. And I'll definitely take those with me.
0: Yeah, I mean, about advocacy and communication. Yeah, it's important because as we get older, people you're not going to be around and your kids are going to have to learn to communicate with the world and saying hey listen this is who i am you're going to have to find a way to work with me and yeah. if you're not going to work with me then i don't want to work with you mm-hmm. and it comes the same and it comes the same thing with your kids and friends they're going to learn growing up they're different. And there's there are a lot of kids that don't want to be friends with somebody who is different because you're going to say something or do something and they're not going to understand you didn't mean it. It's just your mind is processing things differently and you have the, no filter to stop you from saying, "Hey, stop! That is
1: wrong." Yeah. Well, I think. You know, um, I've seen some great interactions of, of, uh, you know, kids interacting. And um, there was one kid from Brazil and uh, she she told uh, one of my kids, hey, you need to stop telling me what to do because I've been listening to you all day. So you need to stop doing that. It's my turn. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And they just did. And they just went forward like, "Okay, sorry about that. And, but not everybody is going to be that direct, (laughs) you know, they're just going to take it and then they're gone.
0: Yeah. I mean, so I love that.
1: I love that directness, you know? Um, And I don't know if that would be something that someone who grew up here, it would be, you know, lost in the politeness. You might lose a friend.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've lost two jobs because of that, because not job two volunteer jobs because the volunteers just weren't comfortable around me. And instead of telling me to my face that I did something wrong or upset them, they go over my head and I and I don't hear back from my supervisor till days later. And it's like, hey, so-and-so brought this up to me, please correct this. And and in my head, I'm thinking, why did you wait so long to tell me this? Mm -hmm. Why not tell me to my face or why didn't they tell me? And I actually asked my supervisor that once. She's like, hey, Reed, you're standing too close. People are complaining that you're standing too close to them. I'm like, why don't they just tell me directly? She's like, people don't like confrontations. And then in my head, I'm thinking, that makes no sense. If you tell me, I correct it. You go over my head. I don't hear back till later. How am I supposed to correct it between now and then?
1: Right. And I get it. I understand in, in both ways. Right. So it's like, are you maybe the other person has their own ideas about what would happen in a uh, or are they escalating a situation? Right. Yeah. Because of their own uncomfortability. So I think there's, um, you know, a lot of awareness. Right. The the. Uh, the awareness piece and i see that my my kids doing that too like getting like really close up <laughs> like uh, Yeah, that's, that's one like, of my
0: biggest issues is too, yeah. i have no spatial awareness yeah and my mom's like that's one of your biggest issues is you don't know where that personal space is and when to stop
1: yeah well it's amazing that She knows that, that you know that, that you're able to articulate it and you're able to look back and say, if they had just said it to me in the moment, I could have corrected that. But maybe you're in a better place now. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, because now you know that it happened and that it can prevent you from other opportunities. So, I mean, sometimes we don't want the experience to happen, but... but. We wouldn't have chosen, you wouldn't have chosen a, an uncomfortable experience like that, but it yeah. happened and then you learned from it. Um, that's amazing that you're able to to get that insight. Because I think a lot of people, neurotypical or neurodivergent, wouldn't, not necessarily 100%, would they be able to learn from that?
0: And what have your kids done to amaze you?
1: Oh gosh, every day. <laughs> every day the the things that they remember the details again and like the creativity um and then you know the uh the intense affection that i can get sometimes and yes right like that
0: i mean took, people took say years you know, people say we don't know we don't we lack empathy but the, the truth to the <laughs> matter is no we don't is we carry our emotions on our sleeves we're Sorry. we're over emotional
1: i mean yeah. yeah one one could say that but yeah i've been called that
0: <laughs> I, mean, like, I, yeah. know, I get emotional from watching tv shows that are sad i mean like yeah. like watching a vet show and you're watching an owner have to put their pet down your heart gets it, it pulls at you and a lot of people can hold it in but when you carry your emotions on your sleeve, it's hard.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But we are
0: very emotional people.
1: That's right, and I think the the um, expectation that someone's supposed to have the same uh, exact facial expressions as you when you're happy or sad as a measure of how empathetic they are is uh, an old concept, <laughs> right?
0: Yep. Yeah. here
1: yeah
0: and finally where can people find out more about you and your book
1: well thank you so yeah i'm on all the socials so uh you could look up edify learning spaces e-d-i-f-y learning l-e-a-r n-i-n-g spaces s-p-a-c-e-s and um for my website it's www.edifylearningspaces.com I'm on TikTok, I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, all the socials (laughs) You can find me there. Um, The book is on Amazon. You can find it um, under the title, Radically Reframe, Three Guiding Principles to a Happier Neurodivergent Family. My name is Priya Tronsgaard. So that's P-R-I-Y-A Tronsgaard, T-R-O-N-S-G-A-R-D.
0: And that is it, everybody. That was Priya guard And I'll see you in the next one, everyone. And I'll leave all the links in the, in the description down below. See you in the next one, everybody.
2: Things used to be. I'm no big fan of now. I must have some sweeter memories somewhere in the cloud, Welcome to the new normal. Welcome to the new normal. Shout. Welcome to the new normal. Shout. Welcome to the. All you used to be Gonna miss all you had Consign to the dustbins of history Like opinions from your dead. talk to just about anybody you happen to me